Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Hazel Burton. And Hazel and I are just going to be kind of talking about identity attacks, kind of why they are more prevalent nowadays, what they involve. And for reference, obviously, Hazel wrote about this for the Talos blog as part of our On the Radar series. So I'll be linking to that in the show notes if you want to learn more or read more about this later. Thanks for coming on this morning, Hazel. Oh, yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks. Good to be here. So yeah, what, uh, let's kind of just talk about the basics of identity attacks first. Basically, this just involves an attacker somehow obtaining or just straight up stealing valid user account details. This can kind of be, you know, maybe it's like social engineering. Maybe it's some sort of like phishing scam where they set up a really good looking fake Microsoft Office landing page or something that's really yeah. convincing. You know, what, kind of what outside of that, you know, what else am I missing there besides that? Yeah. So this is, yeah, this identity attacks, we mean stolen credentials or threat actors purchasing credentials because um, it is sometimes it's someone's entire job to steal these credentials so that they can sell it on to the highest bidder. You know, these are <laughs> actual access brokers. The, the credentials that they harvest are quite likely to be high in quality and uh, haven't been fixed yet. So that's another uh, way of getting these credentials is simply buying them. And yeah, they're, they're, to be honest, threat actors will use whatever means necessary to obtain credentials. We list, I think there's like over 10 of them that we list on the on the blog. So yep. these are things from, as you mentioned, phishing, uh, credentials stolen from password stores. So these are um, users storing their passwords in browsers. There's also like input capture. So um, the most prevalent of that is, is key logging. And what we're seeing is like a lot of these tactics that I've included in the blog, they rank very, very highly in the MITRE attack framework. I think they're pretty much all in the top 10 most common tactics that threat actors will use. So yeah, this is happening. To, to be honest, this is uh, this has been a, this is not a new problem, right? Stolen credentials mm-hmm. is, is no way a, a new problem. This has been going on for years. The difference is that if we look back to, I think like the biggest data breach of 2012, there was something like 6.9 million records stolen. Whereas today we're looking at billions of records yeah. out there. So it's on a much greater scale. The other concern is what are these credentials being used for, right? This is not a one and done type of attack normally. These credentials are being stolen for a reason. And quite often that reason is so that the attackers can effectively log on, right? You know, our audience has probably heard the term attackers don't break into anything anymore. They, they, they log in. So they're using these credentials that are probably valid, to log in and then stay hidden inside the network and go about their business or whatever they came in for in a more stealthy way. It's a very quiet initial access vector to use valid accounts. So this is this yeah, is what we're concerned about. Like what kind of permissions those accounts have either once they're able mm-hmm. to log in. So in, a, in an absolute like worst case scenario, you know, it'd be like admin credentials where then they could go in and start changing all sorts of stuff. So right. that, that's why one of the things that's important is to make sure that on any network you implement the principle of least privilege, which yes. basically just means like you are giving each individual user the lowest level of permissions that they possibly need 
to do their jobs effectively and have all the resources that they have. Basically, no more, no less to avoid that situation of, hypothetically speaking, if they steal somebody's login credentials, but they're not an admin, mm-hmm. then at least the upside there is you can kind of contain the amount of damage they can do. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, the admin access is available at a higher price from these initial access yeah. brokers. They are they, they, they are looking to get them. But as you say, if an attacker was to log in with quote-unquote normal credentials, then one of the first things they'll try and do is escalate their privileges. So then it becomes a race against time. The other thing to mention is that the use of dormant accounts is pretty prevalent. We have some data from Ort, who Cisco acquired um, in 2020, last year, I think, that there is an extraordinary amount of dormant accounts that are sitting there and can potentially be used by threat actors um, because there's no red flags, right? These accounts are still able to access things like VPN, things like web Mm -hmm. applications, but because they're not being used by an actual user, there's less red flags. So one of the things that we say in the blog is, you know, proactively monitor for dormant accounts, even test accounts. You know, there are, we work in the, the communications team. We're constantly creating test accounts for new CMS systems, things like that, in making sure that those test accounts and those credentials are removed. Um, and you also remove the access for anyone who has left the organization as well. So that's uh, another thing to, to call out. I think so attackers are kind of going about this in two different ways, right? They're they're looking at what they can do with external web applications, um, looking what credentials they can gain from breaching those. But the other way is by targeting the users themselves, the, the human beings. And they'll do that in a number of ways, as you mentioned, persuading them to log onto a fake Office 365 phishing portal and maybe keylogging their credentials there or getting them to submit their credentials to a fake web portal. But sometimes they'll think, maybe that's a little bit too difficult. I don't feel like doing that today. I'm just going to try and manipulate this human being to do my bidding, apply pressure, uh, find out what their pain points are. We saw a lot of this escalate during the course of the pandemic when people were, were working more remotely and I don't know about you, but my stresses were certainly very high during the <laughs> pandemic. Lots and lots of worries, worried about, you know, things like, am I still going to have a job, uh, health insurance? So threat actors, as they normally do, will pick up on those pain quite points and try to persuade and manipulate the user to do something that they think is urgent, or they'll just try and um, get them to do their bidding. So yeah, there's two ways that these are uh, these threat actors are going about it. I do think we need to explore both of them. Uh, and yeah, uh, we've got a lot of advice for organizations for both of those types of attack. And one of the other things I wanted to mention too, uh, in terms of like how folks are getting these credentials is QR code phishing. Yeah. Because now, now I can plug my blog post mm-hmm. uh, because I wrote about QR code phishing for a separate series on the site that we have called The Need to Know, which is like a 101 explainer about different topics and qr code phishing is becoming like an increasingly popular tactic for attackers to steal these credentials because qr codes are are more difficult to detect for traditional email defense mechanisms that folks might have in place because it's not just straight up a here's a link that we know is malicious that can flag because it's on a list of ioc somewhere yeah the qr code's a little bit more difficult to detect And uh, usually they're asking the user then to scan it on their smartphone, 
which nine times out of 10, the, the phone is going to be outside of the visibility of an admin on the network. It's going to be less protected than, say, a corporate-controlled or owned laptop where you do have those various blockers potentially in place. And you have no idea what the user has done with that mobile device previously. Like, there's no way to absolutely guarantee that they've installed the latest Android security updates or whatever on uh, their Samsung phone or what have you. That's kind of like another vector that I think is interesting. Yeah, Uh, I feel like we as a security community have always been wary of QR codes because it's like you can't see the website that you are heading towards. Like, surely... But again, the pandemic, um, when it came to like, you know, not having menus and just like ordering from a QR code on your table and things like that. It was like, okay, this is a thing now. This isn't great, but it became so prevalent. Uh, So now we're having these conversations again, because again, threat actors are just following user behavior, whatever, you know, uh, trends that we are uh, undertaking, they are going to follow us right, right down that rabbit hole. So yeah, this is why we're having these types of conversations again. Yeah, so let's uh, wrap it up by kind of just talking about any other recommendations that we have for folks to avoid credential theft and identity attacks. Uh, We talked about the principle of least privilege already. We talked about regular account auditing to remove some of those accounts that are have been inactive for a while. Like you mentioned, what what are some other ones that you want to make sure we cover? Yeah, to be honest, I think I'd like to ask people to ask questions. You know, like what would happen if a threat actor were to log into our network and it would be an hour, like, you know, <laughs> an hour is quite best case scenario to be honest, but what would, what would a threat actor be able to do in an hour if they were able to log onto um, our network? Data ex- exfiltration is extraordinarily fast. So yeah, when you think about it, that's pretty bad. So let's ask these questions. What are we doing to protect our users against phishing attack? What are we doing if our credentials were to wind up on, on the dark web? So having those questions from, and, and also from a user perspective, you know, if you do receive an, an, an email that is slightly questionable or with a QR code, just checking if they're like on a, on a PDF is there the, or, or you know, looking at those files, is that an EXE? Oh, right. Okay. You know, just, just asking those questions, I think would be, because we, you know, we, we, there's, there's an awful lot of things that we can kind of say to people defense in depth use multi-factor authentication and those are very 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 important but having that mindset of kind of questioning things and you know raising those questions to the powers that be on hopefully building a use case towards you know maybe we need to do away with something maybe you need to go to more of a passwordless uh, state within the organization maybe we need to you know passwords were a knee-jerk reaction in 1962 i think a professor at mit needed to stop compute uh, stop students stealing from each other and ever since then we've been dealing with that knee-jerk reaction maybe there's another way so yeah asking questions is probably the advice that i would uh, leave people with all right awesome well thank you so much for coming on hazel and talking to me about this i want to be linking uh, again like i said i'll be linking in the show notes to the blog post that we mentioned throughout this conversation so that folks can read more if they want uh, and in the meantime thanks for coming on and have a good weekend great thanks john <laughs>